We begin in Job chapter 3. The book of Job, which is before Psalms, in chapter 3. I remember when I was young in grade school, there was a famous president of this country, and he gave a speech. It was at a time when there had been a lot of tension between the United States and Russia. It was commonly known as the Cold War, where war didn't actually break out, but there was a threat of war and a threat of nuclear war and a very serious nuclear war that could end in complete disaster to planet Earth. There was a lot of fear around the world and in this country too. And amongst, I remember amongst the grown-ups there was this tremendous fear and it kind of filtered down to the kids and everything. And I remember what made it even worse was when Russia gave nuclear missiles to Cuba to, pres uh, to uh, the president of the dictator of Cuba, Fidel Castro, and he pointed them right at the United States. Now, Cuba, if you don't know, is not that far from Florida. So it's a little boat ride from Florida. So it could hit, from there, it could hit anywhere in the United States. And there was great fear at that time. And President Kennedy ordered... <coughs> Uh, a blockade of ships to surround Cuba, and he threatened war against both Cuba and Russia, and, and Cuba and Russia backed down and put their toys away, and that was the end of the Cuban Missile Crisis. That threat is still out there, but I remember he gave a speech after that. And one of the things he said in there was, we have the famous words, we have nothing to fear, but fear itself. And so with that, now that's a worldly man's perspective, but you could see that he was trying to encourage people to take courage and to not live in fear like they were and to have hope. Now their hope and his hope was based on worldly thinking But that message is important for what we'll read today. In Job chapter 3, in verse 25, <clears throat> For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dread, dreaded has happened to me. These are the words of Job after great catastrophe had come upon him. The loss of all his possessions, destruction, uh, d death, and the loss of his ten children. His precious ten children were lost. But he says, that which I greatly feared came upon me. The King James Version says. That which I greatly feared has come upon me, and that what I dreaded has happened to me. Now, in this verse, many I've heard many sermons on it. Some of them are controversial, even suggesting that the reason all that happened to Job was because he wasn't trusting God. And I'm not, I didn't know Job, and I don't know his heart. But I remember when I was a young Christian hearing a sermon on that, and the words of Job, that which I greatly feared has come upon me. And I think that it's important, no matter what, Job's state was, is to take, take a look at that, because I've thought about that often when I felt fear try to grip me, that there is a message in that. What was it that he greatly feared? We begin in Job chapter 1. Verses 1 to 5. 
There was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and no one, excuse me, and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were seven thousand sheep, three thousand camels, five hundred yoke of oxen, five hundred female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was, when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would, ri and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my, God, that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. There was this fear that Job had. <clears throat> and so he offered sacrifices for his ten children, his seven sons, and his daughters, and so forth. He was concerned, maybe because of the way they were feasting or what. It doesn't really go into any... There's a lot that that's not... A lot of details are not given to the, in, in this story of Job as to what happened here. But he was concerned that they have, may have sinned and cursed God in their hearts, turned away from God and cursed God in their hearts. And he's offering all these sacrifices. So this fear was in him. Now, did Job not have faith? All these other things, like some preachers will preach, I'm not even going to go in those places. You know, we can imagine a lot of things, speculate a lot of things. But the important thing is to take note of these things and to just, you know, even if we don't draw conclusions, make observations about it. And so his concern and his fear... It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. <clears throat> first, and back to what we read, the first thing we read, chapter 3, 25, verse 25. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. It doesn't actually connect it to specifically. But all we know was that catastrophe came upon Job. And Job said, that which I greatly feared came upon me. So he was living with a fear. And the thing with this fear that he was living with, the thing that he dreaded, it wasn't that he feared it, he said, I greatly feared it. He says, that which I greatly feared. It's a powerful fear in him. It came upon him. And when you dread something, it's very negative, isn't it? I'm dreading this, you know, people, you know, there's this, this weight of fear. Dread is a weight of fear. That which I dreaded has happened to me. Now, again, many preachers have tried to connect the two, because he was in dread that it happened to him. But again, I don't think it's worthy of us to make that conclusion. It says that Job was a blameless and righteous man, uh, uh, you know, and more than anybody else. He shunned evil. He was blameless and upright, feared God, and shunned evil. And his sons tried to, I mean, his friends, when they came to him, some of his friends actually tried to connect the two by saying, well, you did something wrong, and that's why it happened to you. And again, we're not going to go there either, because God rebuked uh, his, God came down and rebuked his friends for having that kind of a conclusion. But I do want to say this. That Jesus and the apostles, 
in the New Testament addressed here. In the men's meeting the other day, we are in the we were in the book of Matthew. Chapter 6, I believe it is. Yes, Matthew 6. Verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, drink, your body, what you'll put on it. Isn't life more than food and clothing? <clears throat> Do not worry about your life. Do not worry about your life. Do not be afraid of life. Don't fear about our life. Jesus was talking specifically about temporal needs and the fear that comes that the people of the world fear about having enough money, having enough food, having money to, for gas, having enough money for heating oil, is that heating oil, having enough money for this, that, and the other thing. Take care of our kids, to provide for our family. Enough for, what about when I'm old and I can't work? You know, there's a great fear as people, as people get older, you know, and they begin to worry. The last verse of chap chapter 6 says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have its own, worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Don't worry about the future. And yet, we as Christians can be so bound by these things. We can be imprisoned by these things, by the fear that Jesus is talking about here. But God says all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to the purpose. And yet we fear events and troubles and trials. And yet he said, we will never, he will never leave us or forsake us. Therefore, we shall not fear what man does to us. And yet people fear, people break in into the house. And they stock their house with guns and, and security systems to protect them and theirs, what they own. And they're just bound in every kind of fear. I remember the last time, a couple times I'd gone to rifle ranges to, to shoot my hunting rifle. I've seen people there shooting their um, automatic weapons. And you want to talk about a noise. People are scared. And they're walking in fear. It's the way of the world. It's not the way of the people of God. Not the fear about your life. In the book of Hebrews, it says Satan has people bound all their life by the fear of what? The fear of death. They're afraid to die. People are afraid of getting bad test results. People are afraid of a sniffle, and there are some people do. They're afraid of pandemics and and all kinds of epidemics and flus and everything else. Fear, fear, fear. Fear of stroke, fear of heart attack, fear of cancer. Why? It'll lead to death. That's what they're afraid of. It's a fear of death. Fear of old age. People are working on the fountain, trying to, uh, trying to create eternal life. Because they're afraid of death. They're afraid of God. The people of God should not be that way. The people of God should not be that way. We have not received the spirit of fear. 
but of power and of love and of self-control. If we're living in fear of all these things that Jesus said not to fear, for fearing death, for fearing life, or for fearing what people can do to us, for fearing violence, if we're fearing feel it, fear feeling, if we're fearing that we won't have enough, if we're fearing about the future, we're not listening to the Spirit of God. We're not being spiritually minded. It's the carnal mind that brings us down. That which we greatly feared may come upon us then. Why? Because they're not walking in faith. And the promises of God are received through faith. Don't think it's okay that we're walking in fear. Don't feel like it's okay if we're bound by fear. It's not good. It's not okay to be bound in fear. It's not okay. When we are feeling fear, David said, what time I am afraid, I will trust in you. I will trust in God. We have to do something when we feel fear. We all feel it. But it's a different thing. There's, base, there's a big difference between feeling fear and being bound in fear. That means it controls us. That means it enslaves us. And as it says in 1 John, chapter 4, I believe it is. I don't have the... Yeah, 1 John, chapter 4, verse 18. Fear has torment. It tortures us. I have heard many times, and I've done it myself. Not for a long time. But I have done it, where I toss and turn at night because of problems, and sleep left me, and I'm sitting there tossing and turning in bed because of fear. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. When he lays down his head, his sleep shall be sweet. And you see, when we're at that place... Of, of being tormented and bound and enslaved and tortured by fears and troubled by them, that we, it's not a good place to be, and we cannot stand there. We cannot stay in that place. There is a rest for the people of God. And that rest is entered, the book of Hebrews says, that rest is entered through faith. It is not entered through fear. The promises of God are not realized and entered through fear. They are entered and received by faith. Faith in what God says. Believing in what God says. If we are greatly fearing something today, if we are dreading something today, we have to deal with it. We are in a bad place. We are in a bad land. But there is another place. A place one preacher's sermon called the beautiful land of rest in God. Resting in God. Casting all our burdens upon Him because He cares for me and you. He cares for us. Casting all of our burden on Him because He cares about us. That burden, if we keep it upon ourselves, can crush us. can make us emotionally unstable, mentally ill, can do all kinds of bad things to us. can make us struggle spiritually. Our, our faith can suffer shipwreck, as Paul talked about some. It's a bad place. It wrecked the children of Israel. The beautiful land of rest that God had promised from them. God swore in his anger, they shall never enter my rest. 
Why? Because God said they were a people who had no faith. In Matthew chapter 8, and verse 23 to 27, we'll read that. Uh, Matthew eight twenty three to twenty seven. <clears throat> now, when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, "Lord, save us! We are perishing." But he said to them, "Why are you fearful, O you of little faith?" Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be, that even the winds and the sea obey him? <clears throat> Wonderful story that tells us a lot about ourselves. <clears throat> when things look bad, you see what these people did here, and you see what we do naturally. We see, the, we see ourselves in this story. I often talked about the story of the sailboat incident that me and my brother had in Germany. One of the scariest times of my life. Being on a, on a ship at sea during a storm is a scary thing. Mm -hmm. And here we have it, a great tempest, a great storm. Not just a storm, but a great storm at sea. It says, the boat was covered with waves. This is no little storm. This is waves covering, coming into the boat, you know, pouring, pouring over the top of the boat into the boat. They wake Jesus up. Lord, save us, we're perishing. And Jesus said, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Why are you fearful? And if he's saying about something this extreme, and he puts that expectation on his disciples on something this extreme, how much more our daily life? Just daily life. And people are bound in fear of life and of death and of having enough. And not just feeling fear, but bound in it, enslaved by it, and tortured by it, tormented by it. In the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus talks about the signs of his coming, he said men's hearts will fail them because of the things that they see happening around them. And he says the roaring of the sea with perplexity. I don't know, tidal waves, whatever. They see it and their hearts fail because of the things that they're seeing. Heart attacks. Hearts failing for the things that they're seeing. Living in fear. Responding in fear. If there is anybody here that was on this boat, would any of us not feel fear? Of course we would. It's only natural. But the question is whether we, not whether we feel fear or not. The question is, how would we respond? Will we be any different than these guys on the boat as Jesus said to them, why are you afraid? Why are we afraid? Why are we, af why are we fearful? If we have not received the spirit of fear, we who are in Christ, then why are we fearful? That means we have to listen more carefully to the things we have heard. If we're being fearful. If we're fearful for our marriage, if we're fearful for our spouse, feel fearful for our children, their welfare, their future. Well, it's only natural, right? <clears throat> but there's a higher plane that we can find, as we sang today. Lord, lift me up the higher ground. The higher ground is the place where we're trusting God not enslaved 
not tormented by fear. And so many people have said to me, but you don't know what I'm going through. It's easy for you to say. Like, I've never gone through any tribulations in life. That's easy for you to say, because you don't have my situation. No. But you don't have mine either. But God's Word applies to all. It doesn't give specific details in, about every answer in life. But it tells us how to get the answers. It doesn't tell us to marry Jane Doe, or this one or that one, but it tells us how to discern these things. How to get answers from God. How to receive the promises of God. How to be guided through life. How to be helped. How to have hope and courage. It all points to Jesus and to the cross. And what he's provided for us. That our eyes would be open, open to the greatness of his power to those who believe. Those who are in Christ. That our eyes would be open to the greatness of his power. Now these the same disciples may not have been afraid of something small. Maybe it was a little storm that was dangerous. But when someone's back's against the wall like this and something is dangerous, sometimes we underestimate God's willingness, His power, and His love for us. And He says, it says here, So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey Him? He underestimated Him. He underestimated what He could do with His power. Him being with them meant for them. They underestimated it. We underestimate Christ in us, the hope of glory, what that means for us. Or what the book of Hebrews says, you know, He has promised to never leave us or forsake us. Why should I fear what man can do to me? We don't have to fear the violence of men, of unreasonable and violent men, or what they may do because we're Christians or any antichrist or anything else. If we walk with him, if we trust him, why shall we fear what anybody can do to us? In the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, Zechariah says this in his long rejoicing after uh, John the Baptist is born. He says, in the middle of it, in verse 74, he says, Being delivered from our enemies, we may serve God without fear. We may serve God without fear. And Jesus himself said, don't fear those who can kill the body. Don't fear the dangers of life, but fear God, who has power to cast into hell. Him shall we fear. And there are many things in the, in the Bible that tell us about the wisdom and the right way of fearing God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To he that is a humble and contrite heart, and trembles at my word. The fear of man is a snare, but whoever trusts the Lord will be safe. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you to do and to will of his good pleasure. Work out our salvation with fear and trembling. The fear of God. And trembling at his word. Humbling ourselves before the word of God. This is so very important. Not doing any dancing around the word of God. Doing the old two-step around the word of God. No. 
No. Some things in the Word of God may not make us feel comfortable. We may not even like them. We don't like going that way. But there's wisdom and safety in the Word of God. There's great safety in the Word of God. And it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we just humble ourselves to it no matter what the cost. Humble ourselves before the Word of God under the mighty hand of God. And He will exalt us in due time. Why are you fe fearful? Are you of little faith? In one place, it's recorded this way. Jesus said to his disciples, Where is your faith? So Jesus points to our hearts and very specifically the problem with fear. Fear is not faith, and faith is not fear. They are opposites, other than the fear of God. The fear of man, the fear of life, the fear of death is not from God, and it's not faith. If we fear death, we're not walking in faith. Now I'm not talking about fearing you know, like cringing at the pain of death. Nobody likes that. But walking in fear. And being bound by fear. And being tormented by fear. Jesus says, why are you afraid? Are you of little faith? And he shows the contrast between the two. Fear is because you have littleness of your faith. If we're bound in it. If we feel it, we apply faith. If we walk in the fear of man, if we walk in our fears, and our, we will become enslaved to them. If we don't do something about them, they will be a controlling force in our life. And they will cloud our decision-making, will cloud our mind, because we're, that's not spiritually minded. The carnal mind does not understand the things of God. The carnal mind does not understand... Walking by faith. It doesn't comprehend and perceive living by faith. It is the spiritual man who understands and walks in these things. The spiritual man with the spiritual mind. Because when we begin to walk in the carnal mind, faith goes away. They're opposites. They're at war with each other. And as it says, the last one, is in Romans 15 and verse 13. May the God of all hope, may the God of hope, I'm sorry, may the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace in believing. In believing. Believing what? Believing the Word of God. Believing the promises of God. Believing His way. Believing His message. Believing in His integrity. If we believe these things, we'll be filled with joy and peace. And hope. I talk with many brethren who feel hopeless about situations. They may not speak it, but when you talk to them, you begin to sense their hopelessness and their desperation about situations. There is great hope, there is great joy, and great peace in believing in God, believing His Word. And He will, you will find that when we believe Him, that we will be filled with hope. Brothers, I'm going to stop there and brothers take over. From Begin in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1.
beginning in verse 16. We do not follow cunningly devised fables. We made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For I witnesses of his majesty. For you received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven, and we are with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to take heed to, as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. It's Christmas again, and our society and Western society, different places in the world celebrate Christmas. We just wonder how many people still understand and know the message, the message of God's Son, and the message the truth of that message, that it's not a legend, not lore, not a folktale, but this is the message that God gave concerning His Son. First place I want to look at is in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18. We read here that Peter said that we saw His eyewit we are eyewitnesses of His Majesty. He said it was the prophetic word confirmed. The prophecies of the first covenant made clear that God was going to send somebody into the world. And when we read this in Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18, And verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. Verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whosoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I'll require it of him. Some versions say, I shall be cut off from his people. God speaking through Moses here, and God, God speaking to Moses, saying that God was going to raise up a prophet like Moses, and he would be from among the, bre the brethren, the Israelites. And he said, from among them, he says, he says, him shall you hear. Whoever does not hear this prophet shall be cut off from among the people. When John the Baptist began his ministry, they said to him, are you Elijah? He said, no. He said, they said, are you that prophet? Speaking of this prophet that is supposed to be like Moses. And so, from 1,500 years ago, God said that there would be a prophet that would be raised up among the Israelites, from amongst the brethren, the Israelites. And whoever does not listen to him shall be cut off. The next one we're going to go to is in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah the prophet. This is around 600 B.C. Isaiah the prophet. Chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. 
Remember, we just sang that song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It means God with us. This would be a baby that would be born that would be God with us. Some 600 years before Jesus was born. And it began to tell the story of the Savior that was going to come into the world. And it says that a virgin would conceive. And we know that Mary, the Virgin Mary, was the one who was announced that the Holy Spirit would come upon her as a virgin and she would bear a son if the Holy Spirit came upon her and his name would be Jesus. And he shall save his people from his sins, is what Gabriel told him. The next one is in chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9, at the end of verse 1. Isaiah 9, 1, the end where it says, The land of Zebulun and Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, in Galilee of the Gentiles. <coughs> the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them light has shined. It says here that in Galilee, where Nazareth is, by the way, and most of Jesus' ministry was in the land of Galilee, <clears throat> it says that a, light, a, a great light would shine here in this area. You go to verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. For that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. It said that it would be a child that would be born and he would be the son. He said, unto us a son is given and he will rule the earth. And his name would be Wonderful Counselor Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This message is telling us that the Jewish Messiah, the child that would be born, will be God. God the Son. And he would be born, and eventually he would take over the throne of David in Jerusalem. At the time that Jesus is born, some Jewish scholars believe that there was two Messiahs. Because they were getting two different pictures of the Messiah in the Old Testament. One was this picture, a son being born. And, another, and there's another picture in the book of Zechariah. It talks about him coming down to the Mount of Olives in the day of Israel's distress. And the Mount of Olives was split in two. And cleave in head too, it says, from east to west. And he would, save, he would save Israel at that time. And so there was some confusion, but what they didn't understand, it was the same person, but that he would come two different times. <clears throat> the government will be upon his shoulder. He will rule the earth. And he would be mighty, his name would be Mighty God. There are many groups... In Christendom, who don't believe that Jesus is God, but it's blind to the simple truth that we read in the Word of God. He'll be called Mighty God. A son who will be born will be called Mighty God. This is the excitement and the wonder of the Christmas story. That God took on human flesh as a baby. Not just as a a, vic a, a victor on a white horse. But he started out as a baby when he came here. 
a humble baby, meek and mild. And he came lowly in heart. <clears throat> the next one is in Isaiah chapter 11. Verse 1, and there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and his delight is in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Jesus' second coming, where it says in the book of Revelation, a rod shall go forth. And, the, and the, from the word of his mouth, it shall bring judgment against the armies that, are, that gather together against him. But we see that it's a rod from the stem of Jesse. Jesse, of course, was the father of David. So once again, it is pointing to a descendant of David. And Jesus, of course, was of the lineage of David. Hmm. The next one is in Isaiah chapter, uh, oh, it's in the same, same chapter, verse 10. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand up as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. So that the Gentiles should seek him. Gentiles are non-Jews. And the majority of Christendom today is Gentiles and not Jews. Uh, most of the Jewish nation has rejected Jesus as, Messiah, as the Messiah. But again, it mentions him as the root of Jesse. If you remember the song we were singing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, the next verse talks about it as the rod of Jesse, and the next one is the root of Jesse. In other words, he would be a descendant of Jesse, who's the father of David, and just down the line he would be. And then the next one is in Micah. Micah chapter 5. verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, among you are little, although you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. It can also be translated, some versions translate it, from days of eternity. Whoever this son would be, he had no beginning of days. He would be born in Bethlehem. And he would be ruler over the earth. Now we know the story of Jesus, of course, that he was born in Bethlehem of Judah, a descendant of David. He had no beginning of days. It says, whose goings are from of old, from days of eternity past. This was written over 500 years before Jesus was born. Now we begin to ask ourselves, how did these prophets know that? It's what we read in the beginning. That men of God were inspired by the Holy Spirit to 
predict these prophetic things. These are not private interpretations. God sent his son, and he sent him with a purpose. In the book of Hebrews it says, In times past, God spoke to us through the prophets, as we're reading. But in these last times, he's spoken to us through his son. A lot of people might think that this message has gotten old and out of style. That it doesn't apply anymore. They're so wrong. They're so blind to the great message that God has given concerning His Son. From there we'll go uh, to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. I'm sorry, chapter 2. Beginning in verse 6. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now they were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I give you, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you, you will find the baby in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The shepherds are considered some of, in, in this time, and throughout the ages of some of the low-end people of society. And God chose not to send the angels to the temple in Jerusalem, not to send it to a synagogue, not to send it in the middle of the city of the wealthy, the famous. He sends a ho an army of angels and to tell the lowest of men an announcement. It's glad tidings of great joy. And this is for all the people. And this is a message that should burn in our hearts for the rest of our lives. That unto us a Savior has been given to rescue us from darkness. To give us eternal life. To give us an inheritance. To adopt us as children of God. To this gift of God's Son. And this is, this is a sign to all of us. And something that the cares of this life and the things of this world try to choke out. The gladness and the joy of these great tidings. Of this great message. That a Son was been given to us who is Christ the Lord. To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us. Mm -hmm. And Zechariah, John Baptist's father. Mm -hmm. 
Glory to God in highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Goodwill between God and us, us and God. This is God's message of goodwill, a message of reconciliation. Like Paul says, be reconciled to God. Well, this is the way. This is where the goodwill comes from, in this message, in this event, and things that followed it. Jesus coming in his birth, his his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his coming return. We're all looking for his return. We're looking for his appearing. So in verse 25, <clears throat> John, could you read that for us? Uh, John 2.25 to uh, 35. 25 to 35. John? I'm sorry, Luke. Okay. I'm sorry, Luke 25 to 35. Chapter 2. 25 to 35. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the, by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, and the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So they brought Jesus to the temple, the baby Jesus to the temple, Joseph and Mary did. And this man Simeon, God told me he wouldn't see death until he saw the Messiah, the Christ. And so the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he begins to prophesy. <coughs> And he calls Jesus a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. To give us light. Jesus says we're the light of the world from his light. <clears throat> My eyes have seen your salvation. He's saying it to a he's saying it to the Lord as he's holding this baby. And it says, And Joseph and Mary, his mother marveled at those things that were spoken of him. They're talking to this their baby she just had this way. And he says in verse 34 to Mary <coughs> behold this child is destined for the fall and rising of men in Israel and a sign which will be spoken against. The rising and falling of many. Some people will become the children of God. Many, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many be that go that way. And so, some will rise and some will fall, that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. There is a day when all the books will be opened. And there will be a consummation. Everything will be brought together. And there will be no more mysteries anymore. The mystery of God, it says in the book of Revelation, will be finished. It will be all over. And all these books will be opened up, as well as the book of life. And all these books and everything that God has declared will be laid out for all to see. The thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. 
Matthew chapter 16. Verses 13 to 17. Yeah, nice and loud for the. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. <clears throat> who do men say that I am? Who do people say that Jesus is today? Some people say one thing, some another. Some say he was a deceiver. The Jewish priests who condemned him, said he was a deceiver. There are many in Judaism today who still say he's a deceiver. There's people, other people, that say he's a, he was a deceiver. Some people say he was a nut. He's a crazy man. <clears throat> the words of C.S. Lewis, the, the author, he says there's three things you have to decide about Jesus. One of three things, that he was either a crazy man, he was a deceiver, or he was who he said he was. Some people say he was a good man, but that he wasn't God. He was, or he, some people say he was a prophet. The Muslims say he was a prophet. Mm -hmm. But they don't recognize him as a savior of the world. Some say he was a good teacher, taught some good morals. So Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And we hear all kinds of stuff all around us. And he points his finger at Peter and says, who do you say that I am? And you see, after you hear what everybody else says, then it becomes personal. And we must see and look and seek. And then decide, who do we say that he is? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Peter, son of Jonah. He says, because flesh and blood did not reveal, reveal this to you, your Father in heaven. The Father reveals the Son to whom he will. He opens our understanding. And as he opens our understanding, and we see it, that this is the prophesied Messiah, Savior of the world. And he says, and we acknowledge him as the Christ. And he says, come and follow me. Jesus said to those who believe in him, believed in him, in the Gospel of John, he said, uh, if you continue in my word, you are my followers, my disciples, for real, indeed. And you shall know the truth. And the truth will set you free. You follow Jesus, to follow after him, follow his word, to follow his teachings, to follow the things that he called us for. And the last one is in the Gospel of John, chapter 12. Verses 44 to 50. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come as light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who, resubjects, he who rejects me does not receive my and does not receive my words, 
has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. You remember when uh, God told Moses, I'll raise up for you, for, from among you a prophet, from among your brethren, him shall you hear. And it said, he shall not speak on his own. And you listen to the words of Jesus, he's saying the exact same thing. He says, I'm not speaking on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. Hmm. Jesus did not come into the world to destroy people's lives. He came to save them. But his words are at the center of the human race. And, and are there to either be believed or rejected. If believed, you'll not stay in darkness. It'll take you out of darkness. The gloom of darkness. Of hopelessness. Of condemnation for sin. Of judgment to come. Be delivered from that. If we do not believe his words, he says, he didn't come to bring judgment. He says the words he spoke would be the judge. The words he speaks are a testimony to all the ages from his time forth. And we have a choice. If you are young or old or anywhere in between, the message is the same. To believe the message... God open your understanding, and today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Go in full tilt, and forsake all and follow Jesus, and you will not remain in darkness. That whoever believes in me should not remain in darkness. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Rejoice today. Rejoice, because there is glad tidings of great joy. For unto us is given a Savior in the city of David, and, and <clears throat> who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign to you. You'll find him in the manger. Three brothers to whatever you just want to share or anything else you